Welcome to episode one of the Face of Addiction podcast. I'm your host, Josh. And today I'm being joined by Nancy, who is, among other things, a survivor of human trafficking in rural Appalachia. This episode was created in partnership with Appalachian Voices Unite. Appalachian Voices Unite is the face of the Scioto County Anti-Human Trafficking Coalition, whose mission is to provide education, support, and linkage to care services. You can find more information about the coalition in the episode description, and I would encourage you to do so. I've been involved with our local anti-trafficking coalition for the past few months now, and in that short time, I've learned enough to be able to say confidently, forget everything you think you know about human trafficking. If your assumptions about human trafficking are taken mostly from Hollywood media depictions, then like me, you've got a lot to learn about the actual face of this problem. Of course, here at the Face of Addiction, I explore all things related to addiction, and this of course includes human trafficking. Like many other social problems that we're facing in society, there are multiple points of overlap and intersection, as you're going to see in just a few moments from Nancy's story. But if I had to sum up our interview in a single word, it would be hope. And that's what we've titled this message, Through Her Eyes, A Message of Hope. In preparation for our talk, Nancy sent me a two to three paragraph bio about her life, and I kid you not, there was more pain packed into those few lines than I've experienced in my entire 38 years of existence. And yet, the hope that Nancy has found in her recovery kept shining through, just like sunshine on a dark, cloudy day. So again, for more information about human trafficking, please visit Appalachian Voices Unite on Facebook. For now, though, grab a cup of coffee and sit back. This story deserves your full attention. begins from birth. Um, my mom was a prostitute and she was a drug addict. And so I was born addicted um, to heroin mm. in 1976. And I was probably one of the first kids um, in my city to be a part of the methadone program. Okay. Um, I just feel like, you know, God knew me before he formed me in my mother's womb. And he knew the plans and the purpose that he had for me. And the devil tried to stop him, but he didn't succeed. Yeah. So looking back now, born dependent on heroin, how much of an impact do you think that had on you early on growing up? Um, well, I didn't grow up with my biological mother because she sold me to my father and his wife at birth. So sold their you. names are on my birth certificate. Okay. That's the first I've ever heard of that. Sold you at birth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it hurts, you know, it hurts because what mother would carry her kid for nine months, growing and forming in her womb, and exchange money right. for that beautiful, wonderful gift? It's hard to imagine. Yeah, it is. It is. So, so you went from there to with who you said? To um, my biological father okay. and his wife. Okay. Um, and he was an alcoholic. Okay. So two parents that, one in addiction and one in alcoholism, mm -hmm. the statistics say that that child is destined to be a drug addict or an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. 
So family life was not great, would you say, um, early it, on? It was you? dysfunctional. Um, my father was a um, police officer. He okay. worked in a bank. Um, and when he passed from sclerosis of the liver, like I watched it. Mm. And um, mm. just a torment that came from that, just being there and blood all over my clothes. Mm. My dad was my best friend. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really even know my mom like that. I was with my dad a lot. How old were you when he passed? Four. Four years old, and you remember that? Yeah, I remember laying in the bed, waking up, and just bloody, and the EMTs, and that was the last time I seen my dad. And the next time I seen him, he was in a casket. Wow. Yeah. So what happened with you then? Um, I got to know my mom and, you know, um, her friend, which I called granddad with babysit me because she was a school teacher. Okay. So, and I had older brothers and sisters. Um, her grandkids she raised, um, she adopted them. Um, and my dad had another kid mm -hmm. um, when he was in the military in Germany. And so they took him and brought him back to the United States too, as well. So were you close with your siblings? No, because they were all older than me. I was the baby. Okay. And there was a, a type of jealousy there. Jealousy towards you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I was spoiled. Okay. So being the baby girl and being daddy's girl, you yeah. know, it, it brings on a, a type of um, frustration. And you felt that as a kid? You felt that jealousy oh, yeah, from your siblings? Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, because I was abused by my brother, mm. physically abused. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's to the point to where he almost killed me. Really? Mm -hmm. I mean, through all my, you know, through all my, yeah. um, like, about 10, all the way up through my teenage years, mm. we would fight. You know, um, it just, I knew something was wrong, and I knew that there was something missing. Mm -hmm. You know, because siblings have a bond that is unbreakable. Mm-hmm. And it just, it was different. It was different. Mm -hmm. So I didn't grow up in a home where I had siblings that protected me. My siblings were already in high school, right. in college, when I was growing up. So your dad passes away. Yes. You were daddy's girl. Yes. So who do you have then at that point? My mom. Yeah. Um, she was a school teacher, and then she had a heart attack. So she had to retire. Okay. So she was a full-time mom now. Mm -hmm. um, I was molested um, a year after my dad died um, by um, one of his friends. And he was a police officer. And as wow. a result of that, um, his wife found out, and um, she killed him. Really? Wow. Yeah, I was like five Six. Five years old. Mm -hmm. Man. Um, being molested, um, growing up, you know, I formed a relationship with a female. Mm -hmm. um, her grandma lived down the street from me. And I started experimenting with females. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, I didn't trust men. Right. So the promiscuity came in, you know, the sin came in from all of that. So the door was wide open. 
So this whole time, are you are you in school? Yeah, yeah. I went to Catholic school actually. Really? Yeah. I How did. was that? <laughs> <laughs> I was a good girl gone bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to Catholic school, and um, I mean, I got good grades. Uh-huh. So then, you maintained some stability. Yeah, I did because my mom was a school teacher. Mm-hmm. Like she wasn't having that. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from a home where there was discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, you was going to get spanked, you know, if you did something that you weren't supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I started um, smoking cigarettes at a young age. Mm-hmm. I used to get whoopings all the time. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, I mean, from all the pain that I had been through, it really didn't affect me. Mm-hmm. So with all of this going on, um, you have some stability, but obviously there's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of things taking place. Um, is anybody ever aware of this outside of the home, outside of the family? Is I there mean, ever any contact with children's services or anything like that? No. Do you recall? No. no, because what happens here stays here. It's kept in house. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you ever recall wishing for someone on the outside to know, to be able to help, to be able to come I mean, in your I situation? Just, I wanted my brother to just love me. Mm-hmm. I just wanted love because I've been rejected from the beginning from mm-hmm. my mother. And that's where it started from. I just wanted somebody to love me. Yeah. And my mom really did. My mom, she really did love me. Like, even when I was wrong, like, she had my back. She was the only person that didn't reject me. Hmm. Um, I miss her. Yeah, so she's no longer with... She never got to see this side. I'm sorry. It's okay. She died when I was 23. I was outside one day, and I remember, I was like 12 years old, and one of the guys from the neighborhood was like, you know you adopted, right? Like, that ain't even your mom. Hmm. That's not even your family. Hmm. And I went and I asked her, and I said, am I adopted? Like, are you not my mom? Like, what's going on here? Hmm. You know, um, and it hurt her so bad to the point that she had a a light heart attack behind that. Really? So this was news to you at the time, though? You had no idea? Yeah, because, you know, they were like, well, you know, your dad might be your next-door neighbor or the guy across the street. So talk a little bit about that impact, if you don't mind. Um, So that news to you and then what happened with your mom. Um... Well, I actually met my sister first. Okay. Um, I used to ride the Coda bus and go do stuff with my friends. And it was this girl on the Coda bus one day. And it was just that attraction to her. Mm-hmm. And one day I sat by her. And I was like, I don't know what it is. That was my sister. Okay, yeah. And I could feel it. Yeah. Like I felt that attachment. Like how, I mean, who does that happen to? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. On the Coda bus. On the Coda bus. On the Coda bus. <laughs> right. <laughs> who does that how happen random. to? How random, right. How random. Like, and I just, that was one of those things that was intentional. Okay. My sister started coming around. Okay. Um, I found out that my cousins were only around the corner from me. Really? Wow. That. 
I see my cousins on a daily basis and did not know who they were. Wow. Did you, like, know them? Did you spend time with them? Or you just, I mean, you just I, knew who they were? I knew their kids. Okay, okay. Yep, I knew their kids. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was crazy. Mm-hmm. So how was it then when you met your mother? She rejected me. Then again, she rejected me. Yeah. Um, and my sister was like, no, you're not going to do this. Like, you're not going to do this. Mm. She came to meet you, and you're going to respect that. So you sought her out. <clears throat> well, I just told my sister, like, I want to meet, mm-hmm. you know, our mom. Like, I want to meet her. Yeah. You know, I want to get to know what type of person she is and what she likes and what her favorite color is and and she was just so rude and disrespectful. Mm. And and it hurt. Yeah. Cuz I look just like her. Really? <laughs> I'm just a lighter version. Yeah. So I'm curious. I focus a lot in my work on just trying to understand addiction, right? So that's that's a lot of what I focus on. So if you don't mind, talk to me some about how that plays into your experience growing up. What led you the first time to pick up, to start using drugs of whatever sort, whatever kind? Um, well, I started um, drinking and, and going to bars at 12 years old because I looked like a grown woman. Hmm. So, you know, that was my first euphoric episode um, with anything mood-altering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked it because right. I had fun. And my friends was doing it. So why not? Mm-hmm. Um, in the end, a couple years later, I started smoking marijuana and dating drug dealers. I just had a thing for money. Okay. So that was one of my drugs, too. Okay. That was one of my addictions, too. I chased money. So you're chasing things. Mm-hmm. What are you looking for? What are you, what are you chasing, love. really? Yeah. Love, because m- my dad was supposed to show me how a man was supposed to treat me and love me. Mm-hmm. That relationship was destroyed mm-hmm. because it's corrosive of the liver. Right. So addiction tore my life apart. Mm-hmm. When you're so high, you don't even realize. I miss days, mm-hmm. weeks. Months in the act of addiction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I had such a promising future. You know, I, I used to rap, I used to model. You know, I was in all that kind of girly, girly stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was really, really, really beautiful back then. Um, and, you know, um, I tried to use that to my advantage. Mm-hmm to, you know, play in my favor, to get those guys with that money, to get those drug dealers with those nice cars, to so I could, you know, dress nice and have gold and, mm-hmm. you know, nice cars riding around. You know, what girl doesn't want that? Sure. But I didn't know what real love looked like from a man's perspective in my life. Right. So chasing these things, what did, where did you end up? Where did it lead you? 
I'm going to take it straight to hell. I lost so much. Mm. Um, the Bible says that everything that the devil stole, God will restore it. Mm. Tenfold. And that's true. Mm. You know, 18 years of addiction, the prostitution, the human trafficking, you know, um, choosing the crack over my kids. Yep. Trafficking, you mentioned. Can you talk some more about that, where that um, comes into play? Just, um, I was with the wrong person one day. Okay. And, um, you know, I thought I was going to go turn a trick. Okay. And for two weeks, I ended up in a basement chained up really mm -hmm. and you know um, when the clients would come over you know I was let loose and um, I got beat up really bad because I didn't want to be branded or mm -hmm. tattooed um, which is something that happens yes a lot yes some women are tattooed and some women are branded mm -hmm. um, in some kind of way mm -hmm. there's some indication of who that woman belongs to. Okay. But you fought that? Yeah. I, t I took the whooping. <laughs> I mean, to... I was used to taking whoopings from my brother. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a martial arts student, so I was used to that. So was this someone that you knew or knew no. well that, that led no. you into this? No. No. Um, he was just a regular trick. Okay. Um, I had seen him a couple times, smoked crack with him a couple times, mm -hmm. but I didn't know they were into that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Did it surprise you that he was capable of this? No. No? It didn't because I've been faced with so many dangerous situations um, being out there. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just, that's just part of it, being chained up in a basement for two weeks. You know, and I finally got free. Mm -hmm. Every time I prayed and I asked God to help me, he would always help me. And I would go back to that same very thing that he delivered me from and put those chains back on. Why did we do that? Because I was in bondage. Mm -hmm. and, and the crack just had me so hypnotized. So a lot of it had to do with your addiction? Yes, all of it had to do with my addiction. Okay. So you're in the basement for two weeks. How do you get out of that? One of the doormen... Um, went somewhere, and I just slid out the, because he didn't put the chain on tight enough. Okay, so you just found it out. And I just found out, and I just got out. I ran up the basement stairs and went straight out the back door. Mm -hmm. So in your experience, um, is this happening a lot? I mean, I've had guns in my mouth. Mm -hmm. I've had guns to my head. I've had a knife to my throat. This man, this man raped 151 prostitutes in Columbus and killed about 21 or 25 of them. Wow. And I was probably... Next. Next. But God spared me again. So there are lots of women out there right now facing this kind of thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, there are still women that... I got high with and that I prostituted with that are still out there, the mm -hmm. ones that aren't dead. 
So you've kept in touch with some um, from those days? When I go back, I mean, I see them out there, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I stop and I pray with them. I pray for God to deliver them. I pray for them to have the willingness to just let him come in. Sure. And, I, and I tell them, like, you know, he's knocking at the door, but the doorknob is on your side. You have to open it. Mm-hmm. Like, when are you going to be tired of living like this? So what did that take for you? When did you reach that moment of finally being tired of that? Uh, what, what made the change? My sister died in the beginning of 2009, and I was incarcerated. Okay. Um, something that wasn't unusual. I spent a lot of time in jail. Okay. Um, but my sister died. Like, she loved me. Like, she would jump out when she would see me out there prostituting and, like, love on me, mm. you know? Um, and then, like, it was just, like, two weeks of just, like, crazy events that were happening. Like, I was in a crack house smoking crack, sitting at the table, and there was a shootout. Mm. Um, and there was, like, a silhouette of bullets around where I was sitting at, and I'm still sitting at the table smoking crack. Like the insanity. You know, I mean, it was straight madness. And then um, I lost another family member in the midst of that time. And um, I went to the funeral. And when I got to the funeral, like I, I went straight to the body, and I viewed the body, and I turned around and my brother was in the church, hmm. and this is my biological brother. Okay. And he just started crying because he didn't know where I was. But just to see me in that shape, I weighed like 70 pounds, and I'm like okay. almost 5'10". Yeah. So what I hear from you there is you, you kind of saw yourself through your brother's eyes. How he was seeing you at that moment? Yeah, because he was just so hurt. Mm -hmm. And for a grown man to cry like that. Mm. It did something to you? It did. It did. This is after 2009 or 2009, you say? It's in 2009. Okay. You don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but you say you spent a lot of of time in jail. Are we talking like county jail? What what was that like? Workhouse. I went to prison just to get a number for 59 days. Okay. Um, I couldn't stay clean, so probation officers, bounty hunters, you uh-huh. know. Um, my mom put her house up a couple times. But you say bounty hunters. Mm-hmm. You, you talking literal bounty hunters? Literal bounty hunters. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm just being clear. It's from my understanding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, wow. Because it was, it was that bad. Mm-hmm. It was that bad. Like probation officers coming, I'm jumping out of yeah. windows, going to hide in my basement. Mm-hmm. So yeah. your your time in the the criminal justice system, what was its impact on you? Did it help you ever? Um, Did it make things worse? What was it like? It just made me like, I don't care. Okay. I didn't care. I could always cry wolf when my mom was still alive, and that's my mom that raised me. Mm-hmm. Because, um, like I said, she put her house up as collateral for me. Wow. 
No, she she did that though. She loved me like that. Mm -hmm. But that was a mother's love for her child. Um, there was another um, event that took place. Okay. It was an out of body experience. Really? Yeah. Let's hear about that. And um, it was me chopped up in a trash can. Okay. And I just was like, I'm tired. But there was still that resistance there. So um, my brother gave me his number that day. Okay. And he said, um, you know, when you get ready for change, just let me know. I'll come get you. I got some people that can help you down at where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And, um, like, God is so amazing. Because you just never know the vessel that he might use to get you where you need to be. Mm -hmm. It was just God's timing. It was, it was over. Mm -hmm. It was over. So help me understand here, the out-of-body experience. How, how did that, how did that actually happen? How did I mean, I was asleep. Okay. So this is like... Kind a of like vision. a vision, you It say? was a vision. It wasn't a dream. It was okay. a vision. Okay. And I was just standing over myself looking at me See. chopped up in a trash can. Okay. So almost like a kind of an omen, what was to come. You kind of yeah. saw what, where your path was leading you. Yeah. I was going to die. Mm -hmm. It says jails, institutions, and death. Mm -hmm. It says the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Right. So how do you feel waking up from a vision like that? <laughs> I was scared. Yeah. I was scared. And I remember November 14th, 2009 mm. was my last day getting high. And I just prayed and I just had one of those 911 prayers. You know, God, let me go out here and trick and get me some money and get high until, mm -hmm. you know, my brother arrives. Mm -hmm. But it was like I really didn't want to do it. But the addiction and the crave was so strong, like it was a force behind it. Okay. And I didn't know if I was going to die that day. I didn't know if I was going to get in a car and somebody was going to chop me up. Mm -hmm. I didn't know. But that's the insanity of it. Because mm -hmm. I really didn't care. I just needed to get that one more. Just one more. Just one more. Yep. <laughs> So your brother comes at that point for you? Yes. He okay. came to the dope house and got me. All right. He pulls up. He calls me. And, like, all of a sudden, like, the resistance just left. And I gave all my crack stems away because, you know, I had me a little, <laughs> I had me a little stash going on. Right. But I gave it all away before I left the crack house. So your brother comes and you go willingly, though. Yeah. He's not breaking down the door and carrying you out on his shoulders, huh? Mm -mm. No. No. Okay. And I get in the car and I just start praying. And I'm like, God, all these times, like, I've just not been serious. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, um, in and out of treatment, in and out of jail, you know, in and out the crack houses, you know, just all of the crazy stuff that I did. Whatever I need in my life, if it's you, I need you right now. 
I need you right now, Lord. Like I promise, this is it. And that's where the willingness came in as I was praying. Like I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to go, you know, um, to that rural county and get high because my brother was a drug dealer. <clears throat> Your brother was. Your brother who picked you up. So is he the one who was also telling you, "Call me when you're ready to, when you're ready to quit"? That's interesting. So here, on one hand, he's he, he's dealing to people, but then over here, he's he's showing compassion for his sister, and he's he's wishing you you want to stop. Yeah, that's so interesting. That's, is that that's because did. you're his sister? Because he loved me. Yeah. It hmm. was more so love than anything it was it didn't, didn't have anything that for to do with me being a sister mm -hmm. it was the love that he had for me mm -hmm. so you were in and out of treatment before yep but this was the last time november 14th you say yeah the last time i got high okay november the 14th 2009 so what's that's years. Uh, 11 years yep. wow yep it's a lot of time there in that, that sigh. <laughs> Eleven years. Yeah. So what's it what's it been like since since then for you? Um, I came down here, I found out that I was pregnant. Okay. So um my brother knew somebody that um had connections at treatment. Mm -hmm. Um this lady took me under her wing and started taking me to church. Um, I found out that I had syphilis mm -hmm. and that I had carried it for five years okay. as a result of my addiction. Um, but I didn't give it to anybody. And I had two other kids in the, in the midst of that time. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't give it to my kids. I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I went to the clinic and they were like, you know, your kid could be born dead. Your kid could be born blind, no limbs, mentally retarded, brain issues. And she was like, um, the doctor was like, you've had this syphilis for a very long time. A very long time. How are you still alive? Hmm. You're supposed to be dead or in a padded room somewhere. Wow. And I said, it must have been Jesus that kept me. And I just, I went back to the treatment center and I just got on my knees and I just cried out like, Lord, please don't do this to my baby. Sure. Because of my sin, sick disease, please don't. Please don't. Like, you know, um, like I came to the valley and I had a valley experience because Jesus met me here in the valley. I went to church on that Sunday and I didn't tell anybody because I was ashamed and I didn't want to say anything. I didn't want nobody talking about me. You know, because all church folk ain't saved. Yeah. And, um, you know, um, the pastor, he prayed for me. 
he told me to come up. He was like, I need to lay hands on your belly. And I just got this tingling sensation all over my body. And I felt my baby leap in my stomach. And Jesus was healing my body. It felt like I was getting a blood transfusion. Yeah. Like, it was just, it was weird. <laughs> it was weird. And I'm just feeling this tingling. And, and it was like, it went on for like 24 hours. And it just felt, I could feel like the new blood that was being put into my veins. And I went back and I was like, you know, God healed me. Cause I don't like needles. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like needles. And, um, and so I said, you know, God healed my body. I'm okay. And, um, they was like, no, we still, by law, we have to. Right. Because it's such a severe case of syphilis. Mm. We have to treat you. And it has to be documented. So, that Monday, that Wednesday, and that Friday, but that Monday, I asked the lab tech to take my blood. Because I wanted to know. Mm. I wanted to know. Like, I just went through this experience. Like, I want to know. Right. Like, did Jesus really heal me? Did I really get new blood? Is my kid really okay? Like, and he did. Because I went back that Wednesday, and the lab tech said, there's no tithers in your blood. It's incredible. And I started shouting. <laughs> and I started crying, and I just started thanking God. Because nobody... Nobody but him can do that for me. <laughs> like, who am I? But Jesus didn't hang out with the desirables. He hung out with the undesirables. Right. He, he hung out with the lowly. That's and it. he chose me. Like, he chose me. Who am I? But he made me worthy. <laughs> like, and that's just a blessing in itself. That's awesome. Yep. My baby, she's 10 now. Huh? Yep. She was good. That's awesome. Nothing. And here you are. Here you are right now, sitting with me, talking about all this. I have no idea who's going to listen to this interview, listen to you share your story here, but let's say there are other women out there who are facing similar situations as to the stuff you've gone through. Um, think of yourself, you know, in some of the darkest moments and some of the, the hardest times. What do you say to those women? There has to be a willingness and they have to be ready mm -hmm. and enough has to be enough. They have to be tired of that lifestyle because that's what happened to me. Mm -hmm. You know, that was my experience. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I tried him. You know, and there's many different pathways to recovery. Sure. There's many different pathways. But Jesus was the way for me. Yeah. You know. Um, 
he was away from me. The shame, it'll go away. It'll go away. There's, there's just a different type of surrender mm-hmm. that has to take place. Um, you know, there is no shame in the Father's house. There is no shame. No. Like, He loves us. Right. He loves us unconditionally. And I found that out. And when I realized that that's what real love looked like, I had to have more. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't get enough. But for those ladies, though, it's a process like in treatment. Mm -hmm. You know, you you get to work through that. You know, that that shame and that guilt will lessen. Because there are people in treatment facilities that really care about people and really love people. I know my counselor did. Like, she wasn't scared of me. I was from the hood. She wasn't scared of me. She <laughs> let me know that. She was about this tall. And I built a really strong bond with her. But I was able to work through the shame, the guilt, all that. Even, you know, um, reconnecting with my kids. Mm -hmm. Yep, I started having weekend visits. That's great. She, you know, allowed me to leave for the weekend. Yeah. So what about, what about the people listening like me? Not, not, haven't, haven't, haven't experienced many of the things that you've experienced, but they, they want to care they want to help they want to understand what do you what do you say to those people how can they help people and other women who are out there now still in situations like you've been through um you know you just have to know the signs you know um there are plenty educational classes that they have online human trafficking Mm -hmm. educational classes you know um trauma recovery educational classes you know addiction educational classes Mm -hmm. Like, that would be a way that they could look for those signs and and notice when something is off or somebody's trying to signal them Mm -hmm. that something is wrong. Um, Compassion, that unconditional love that Jesus has. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the ticket, though, is the love, that unconditional love that unconditional love because I remember those pastors on the corners praying for me when I would go in the church and they would feed me in my addiction stinking and Mm -hmm. high and tweaking but they loved me they showed me the love of Jesus Christ and love love conquers all love conquers all but some education with that love would really help Go a long way. It does. That's it. it. I like that. I like that. Yep. It's a beautiful story. So, what about now? What do you? What's What's going on in your life? What's What's the future look like for you? Um. Well, my kids were taken from me at two and a half years clean, um, because they wanted me to relapse, but God had had a different plan for me. Who's they? Um. 
my sisters, my adopted okay. sisters. Gotcha. Um, they actually fought me and took my kids back. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the money to fight them. Yeah. You know, and, and they feared, they put that fear in me. You know, I'm down here in treatment and I don't have no $80,000 to pay for child support. Sure. So if I don't pay that $80,000, then I'll go to jail. Mm. And they'll make sure that I lose my kids and never see them again, all five of them. Mm. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. I made it through, though. Mm. I mean, that's just, that's because of that strength that God gave me. You know, I didn't go through all of that to not be able to handle this. I have to endure some things. Yeah. You know, to to get to the next place. And you know, that's the key word through. Okay. We go through some things. Yeah. In life that are hard. But it made me aware inside. You know, I was he was preparing me for a battle. I didn't know. Mm. I didn't know. But I mean, I'm just so blessed. I mean, I have Blessings from blessings upon blessings upon blessings. Even though I still go through those things, he brings me out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have my daughter. Um, I work in the ministry, the street ministry. I love street ministries. Oh, my goodness. Awesome. I love street ministries. Because who better to go back? Sure. To the muck and the miry clay. And extend a hand Mm -hmm. to my sisters and my brothers that are in the life of addiction and prostitution. Mm -hmm. Because men are just highly, highly favored in the prostitution game now, too. Yeah. And little boys. Right. It's very popular. Um, And so who better to go back Mm -hmm. in the trenches? Yeah. You know, I didn't know God was going to use me like this one day, but I love it. I love feeding the homeless and and doing good things for the community. Mm. But it has to be a community effort. Yeah. You know, I mean, one person can show love, but there's power in numbers. Mm. You know, what, what if all the people in the churches get together and get out of those four walls and do some street ministries together. Sure, yeah. Like what type of power, what type of power would that bring? You're giving hope to the hopeless. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're loving on people that some people see unlovable. But how can you deem somebody unlovable? Mm -hmm. We are not here to judge. We are here to do the work of our Father and be about His business. Mm -hmm. And that's who I am today. You know, I was an uneducated black woman, a drug addict, trash to some people. I was garbage. You know, some people wanted me to be thrown away. Right. Because that's one less prostitute Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. out there, one less drug addict. If she dies, nobody will miss her. She's a drug addict, but I'm somebody's daughter, and I'm somebody's sister, and I'm somebody's mother, and I'm somebody's aunt. Just like these men that's out here too, Mm -hmm. they're somebody's son, and they're somebody's dad, and they're somebody's uncle, and they're somebody's brother. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, but I love my community. Mm-hmm. Um, I work in treatment now. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I just got my GED. Good for you. I'm working on my PRS certification. Yeah. Very nice, very nice. I mean, there's hope. Mm-hmm. Don't give up hope. Be a blessing to somebody. Don't always look down on them because they don't look like you or they don't smell like you or they don't talk like you or they're not the same color as you. We're all connected. We all have the same bloodline. We come from the same creator. And so be a blessing to somebody. Be that hope at the end of that dark tunnel. Be that light. Help these people come out of the cave. You know, because a lot of people are in caves. Yeah. It's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame, you know, that keep people like me in their situation. Mm-hmm. But there's, there's hope and there's help. So get educated. You know, pray. We, we all have to pray. Somebody's prayers saved me. Mm-hmm. Whether it was my dead mother's, or somebody else who didn't know who they were praying for at night. I remember my mom saying to me when I was in my addiction, she said, I have to stay up late to watch the news to make sure I don't have to go claim your body. Mm. And I realized what she was saying when I was in treatment one day, it just hit me. Mm. I was having a session with my counselor and I just started crying. Because I remember my mom saying that. And it's a lot of moms and dads out there that watch the news to make sure that they don't have to go claim their kids' bodies. You know, it's a lot of grandparents out here taking care of grandkids. You know, I work with the kids, peer-to-peer group. Mm -hmm. You know, wherever, wherever I can be a blessing to somebody, I'm a blessing. But it takes more of me. More people like me. Right. Just get active. Just get active. Get proactive and get educated. Hey, thanks for listening to the Face of Addiction podcast. Just as a reminder, check out Appalachian Voices Unite on Facebook for more information on human trafficking. Until next time, this is your host, Josh, signing off.